Good evening. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Before we read a little portion, a few verses from here, let me just step back a little bit and look at uh, something of the contents context of Philippians. Paul wrote Philippians, and it's an eminently practical book. It's practical living. It answers much, or gives answer um, to that question that is raised, how shall we then live? And Paul enters into how we ought to live in the here and now. Paul isn't speaking about our position before God. He's speaking about the the way that we live on a day-by-day basis, our state rather than our standing before God. He isn't speaking about that once and for all union, but he's speaking about the day-by-day communion. He's not speaking about the privilege that we have as children in the family, but the responsibility that we have as servants in the house. Practical truths. But these practical truths, he says, are not exercised on the basis of principle or practice, not on the basis of law or commandment. He says, practical living in order to be effective and, on, and for, of profit for God has to be lived. Christ-centric, where Christ is the very center of the life. And he takes these little four chapters, and in each of them, he brings before us Christ in a different facet. How we have Christ as our center in the way that we live. For instance, in chapter 1, the key verse, I think, around which the whole chapter revolves, says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ as our life. Now, Paul, what is Paul saying here? That Christ is the originator of life? Well, no, he is the originator of life, but that's not what he's speaking of. Is he saying that Christ is the basis of spiritual life? That God-given life? Well, it's true that we have that, but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that Christ is animated in my life. Christ is 
the very essence, the locomotion of my life. Christ as our life. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In the second chapter, we have Christ as the example. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, the mind of humility, the mind of putting others ahead. Here's one that stepped from the glories of heaven, entered into this plain, became a servant, went to the cross. Christ is the example. In chapter 3, the chapter that we're going to look at, it is Christ as the object of life that I may know him, the object of life. And then in chapter 4, Christ our strength. Paul says, I can do all things. Now, if he stopped right there, we'd have to question Paul, wouldn't we? But he adds a little portion. He qualifies it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So practical living, the secret of of profitable, practical living is having Christ as the center of our lives. Now in chapter 3, we're only going to look in chapter 3, Christ as our object. Let me read just a few verses, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 3. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body 
according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. We trust the Lord to bless the reading of his most precious word. There are three things, I think, that we see here. This portion is, of course, as so many portions of Scripture, pregnant with meaning, and we can only pick out just a few things as to as they relate to a, a practical, uh, productive life for God centered in Christ. First of all, he says, there are things that I have yet to attain, and I'm striving to attain them. There are three things that he presents, and we'll look at that. Then he has a healthy uh, appreciation of the past, how to deal with the issues of the past. And then he looks to the things that are ahead of him, that inspire him, that are a comfort to him. We look to that. Now he says, what are the things that he has yet to attain? A Christian life is a life of progress. It is constant movement. We're either running in the race or we're walking, but there is forward movement always. As soon as we stop, you can guarantee backsliding. So the Christian life is always moving forward. Moving forward. And so he says here, I'm moving forward. I haven't yet completely gotten a hold of these things, but I'm moving forward in them. Three things. That I may win Christ, first of all, in verse 8. That I may know Him, know Christ, in verse 10 and that I may lay hold or apprehend that for which Christ has laid hold of me. In verse 12, the expression of Christ, the experience of Christ, and the exercise of Christ in the life of the believer. That I may win Christ or gain Christ. What are you talking about, Paul? Do you not have Christ? He says, oh yes, I have Christ. But effectively, I want Christ to be seen in me. Every circumstance in life God uses to achieve that purpose in our lives. Every circumstance, whether caused by God or permitted by Him, is there to effectively mold us to the image of his son. You remember those two verses in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. We generally look at verse 28, but tend to forget verse 29. All things work together for good to those who love God. We look at that and we stop there generally. But it continues on in verse 29, doesn't it? For those who he had 
predestined. Or he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Dear saints, that's not sometime in the future. That'll be accomplished completely. But he's saying, look, I want that for the here and now in the, lives of the, belie- in the life of the believer. He wants to see the virtues and the perfections of Christ in us. And we'll be displaying them not only here, that's his desire for the now, but throughout the universe in eternity. To gain Christ, the expression of Christ in me. He says, I've not fully attained to that, but that's what I'm working towards. That's what I'm grasping after. Then in verse 10, he says that I might know Christ, that I might know him. Again, the question can be raised and said, uh, Paul, don't you know Christ? Knowledge here is experiential knowledge. It isn't the knowledge of when we come to salvation, but it is that intimate knowledge of experiencing God, of experiencing Christ in our lives day by day and moment by moment. Do we live there? We ought to. That I might know Him. This is the call of eternity. This is life eternal, that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. That is what eternity will revolve around. God has saved us for himself. He wants us to know him intimately. But we have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't come when the lights are out for this physical life. Eternal life comes the moment that we come to the Savior where our sins are dealt with, and we're given the very capacity to be able to know God moment by moment. In the time of salvation, are we there? Do we live that way? Do we desire to know Him personally? To know more of Him? Not about Him, but more of Him that intimate relationship. He says, Paul says, that's what I want. That's what I'm going after. I haven't fully attained it, but every day I'm a little further ahead. And the third element, he says, that I may lay hold, in verse 12, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. That I may lay hold for that which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. What's your purpose 
for being here. Why are you here? To run a construction business, to be an engineer, to, to be a scientist, to be in mortgage banking, to be a student? What, are you, what is our purpose for life? And that's the question here. That I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of me. Why did he save me? Well, the principal purpose of every living soul, Isaiah tells us, is to glorify God. It's the same for all of us, to glorify God. But the means by which we glorify God differs for every single one of us. God knows all about us. He's made us. He knows about our heredity. He knows about our ability. He knows about our interests. He knows about our emotions. He knows about our temperaments. He knows all about us. He didn't just pick you, uh, scour the world as if it were to pick you for a purpose. He made you. To Jeremiah, he says, uh, you know, before I formed you, I knew you. You see, God wanted a weeping prophet. Read the book of Lamentations. If you don't weep at that, he wanted a weeping prophet. He didn't just look around and pick a man that had that capacity. He made him. And each one of us, God has made. Then he has brought us and regenerated us. Indwelt us by his spirit. Endowed us with spiritual gifts. And the Lord Jesus Christ has placed us in the place to minister all of that for his glory. Why are you here? Well, we ought to find out why are we here? What is our purpose? God has a purpose for each one of us the means by which we would glorify him, the sphere of responsibility and work, the exercise of all the elements of our being, and the spiritual gifts that he's given us for the benefit and blessings of others. And so here are the things that Paul says, I've yet to attain them, but that's what I'm going out after. That's what I'm moving, the direction that I'm moving in. And it ought to be a pattern for us as well. We ought to live that way. But then Paul goes back to the things that are behind him. And it's an example of things that we ought to look at in the sense of, or at least put behind us and leave them behind us. 
things that should be. In verse, let's see, verse 30, I think, of chapter 2, it says this, Because for the work of Christ, he that is Epaphroditus came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service to me. Are there shortcomings in the lives of believers or in the lives of others, perhaps in your business world or school world, that tends to affect you? Paul says it's done. The things that should be or should have been but are not. I find that those folks, saints in many a case, that dwell on past things and the, and the wrongs that were done them, instead of having a joy-filled life of service for the Lord, have a life of bitterness. I think I've told you this before. The prayer for myself is, I pray for this, that I'll never turn out to be a bitter old man. Focus on the past. Keep focusing on the wrongs that have been done you. And I can assure you where you'll turn up. A bitter old man or woman in your old age. So the things that should have been but aren't, leave them there. Leave them there. The things that might have been. Have you ever thought of that? What could possibly have been? The things that might have been. Oh, every so often I have to catch myself. Twenty years, in, the, in my twenties, mid-twenties, we had a house, a custom-built house on the hill, Waterfall, large enough for a waterfall in the house, and a pond with koi fish. Miro's and Chagall's and Picasso's hanging on the walls. BMW's in the garage. The desire was to be rich. That was my goal. Then God took hold of me. Well, there's no BMW, no Picasso's on the wall, no hill, no house on the hill. The only pond in the house is a bathtub. And yet, sometimes we look back and we crave for that. What is that? Here in regards to Paul, Paul says, you know, I've had all those things, but I count them as garbage. I just put them on the dunghill. What value is there in the things, no matter what you gain here? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Well, you know, we apply that, we use that as a gospel verse. And it's okay in application, but it's not in interpretation. That's not the interpretation of the verse. 
It isn't speaking to unbelievers, it's speaking to believers. It is dealing with the question of the cross, of discipleship, of gaining for self and losing for God. And we can gain much of this world for self and lose all for God. Be careful, be careful about looking at the things that are back there. Oh, I see an F-22 and F-35 fly by. Ah, oh, I'd love to be in one of those. What would it be? What would it cost me to have remained in the military and to fly one of those? Is it not better to be, have been encouragement to a brother, young brother or a sister in their path and their walk for Christ? Or a little gospel verse to an unsaved soul? Or to a little visit here or there to a believer that is in discomfort and need? Well, those things of the old world, leave them there. Leave them there. The things that might have been. Then there are the things that cannot be. You know, have you ever listened to motivational speakers? Anything that you think of, anything that you think you can do, you can do. Well, trust me, not only now, but even in my earlier days, I don't think I could ever be a center for the Lakers. And in the spiritual realm, I look at men like Billy Graham and I say, oh, I wish. But you can't. Because God has a purpose. And thank God in the sphere of the things of the Lord, you know, Billy Graham doesn't get any more than any, any of us if we're faithful in the things that the Lord has set before us, faithful to him. Don't look to the things that cannot be. Then there are the things that are before him. Verse 20, the things that are before him. the anticipation of the change of our life, the vision of the Savior. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we eagerly awaiting for the Savior? Are we looking with anticipation for his return? Talking with a brother a little earlier today about this very matter. You know, we, we look at the circumstances round about us and we get emotionally in disarray because of political issues and the affairs of the world and so on and so forth. 
And these things are insignificant. That's not to say that we ought not to look at them, but we ought to look at them with our peripheral vision, the periphery. Our focus ought to be on the Lord Jesus, and these just are things that are exercised in our mind that speak of His return. The events of this world, the the events that are going on in this world today, cannot go on for much longer. But they're not the reassurance. What's the reassurance? That Christ is coming, and it can be today. And are we anticipating His return today? Did you get up this morning and say, this is the day, perhaps? We had a brother here years ago, Brother Thompson, that used to, not every day, but he used to say that this is the year that the Lord will return. Next year, Jerusalem. Isn't that what the Jews say? Next year, Jerusalem. We ought to say that this may be the day. Living a life that's in anticipation of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 21. Who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He is able even to subdue all things to himself. Yes, you look around. What is it, 58, 59 wars going on right now, presently, in this world? The expansion of Islam and its terror. The rising and the fall of nations. There's one that's going to come and subdue it all unto himself, the Lord Jesus. What a grand thing that will be. And we'd be part of that. There will be peace and unity. What a wonderful thing that is. The anticipation of his return and the subjugation of this earth. Not through our ministry, not by the spread of the gospel even, but by him purposely coming to judge this earth and then set up his kingdom. All that is ahead. Are we looking to that? That ought to encourage us. Look at the horizontal, look at the events, the political events, as I've said, and all the other things that are going on in this country and in the world. Well, I must say that I do get my 20 minutes of Drudge Report and whatever else on the Internet. But it's discouraging, isn't it? But here is something that is encouraging. All of that will come to an end, and Christ will take his rightful place on the throne. And then in verse 14, verse 14, Paul says, 
I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press towards the goal. That sounds like Hebrews chapter 12, doesn't it? I press towards the goal. As I said before, it's motion. I press towards the goal. Are we doing that? Are we just happy living a life that um, self-satisfying, a life of ease? I must say I enjoy it sitting in a nice, comfortable chair by the fireplace. You folks aren't aware of fireplaces, I know, but up north we are. Reading a book or something, comfort. Well, that's good once in a while, but the purpose of the Christian life is to strive for that prize so that we might gain it in Christ Jesus. Dear saints, may that be the purpose of each one of our lives, to, to attain or to go after that which is in Christ Jesus, to gain Christ, to know Christ, and to exercise Christ in our lives, the purpose that he's called us for. To remember the things that are behind us are that, just that behind us. And that the call of the world is only at great cost. And to look to the incentive that is ahead of us, Christ returning. Now not as the meek man of Calvary, but as the King of kings and Lord of lords to judge and to set up his domain. Great prospects for us. May we live life here in that practical sense for his glory, for his glory. Let us pray. Now, Father, we do thank thee again for this little portion of Scripture that sets before us Christ as our object, that we may gain Christ, that we may know Christ, that we may express Christ in our lives. We thank Thee, O blessed Father, that it isn't simply by precept or principle that this life is lived but this life is centered in the person of thy lovely Son. May we, Father, O oh gracious God, may we indeed gain more of him, know him more in the days that are ahead. For his glory's sake and thine, we ask it all in his lovely name. Amen.